Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you very much for what we just heard. Jesus, we uh, we thank you for your great name. We so often forget sometimes what all this is about. It's so easy to just get in some sort of routine where we come and and we sing some songs and we preach some words and we do our thing and often forget your thing. And your thing is that that you are to be made big. I want to thank you, Father, for the privilege of teaching today. And Father, the uh, the scripture is very powerful. It says your word will not come back void. And because I I know the enemy is strong, and I know the the truth that we need to defeat today, the lie that we need to defeat today. Um, must die. It needs to die because it holds so many of us back and puts us in prison and puts us and holds us hostage. So I pray for your victory today. Thank you for Katie singing from her heart. Thanks for that great song. I'm glad you laid it on her heart. So Jesus, in whatever we do today and all that we do today, um, may your great name be made even greater. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, I think a shoot that thing is in order. <laughs> that was a great song. Good worship today. And we're glad that you came to join us. I always say this and really mean it. Is if you're here today and you're visiting with us, there are a lot of churches you could go to. And you chose to come visit with us today, and we're glad that you're here. And members, we are glad that you are here. We're right smack dab in the middle of June. A lot of people on vacation, so we're just glad that you came today. And I really pray that already you're saying, you know what, I'm glad that I came to church. And I hope that I can add that today with the Word of God, that what you hear today will help you um, as you journey through life. We're right in the middle, actually we're really toward the end, of our series Home Guard, and we've kind of used the thought of, Guarding different things. And today we want to talk about guarding your contentment. And actually this is a slight change. But uh, I told you earlier on that there's a couple of three or four scriptures that I believe as a teacher that the church needs to hear every year, maybe more often than that. And this is one of those. I've already warned you that. That First Timothy chapter 6, and we'll be starting in verse number 6 today, is just one of those scriptures. It's so powerful and so strong. We need to hear it again and again and again. It's, 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 it just needs to be burned into our hearts and it needs to be applied into our heart. And contentment... Really, honestly, discontentment is such an issue in America today. You know, it's so funny. I was thinking about this. You go to Africa, and it's just such a different environment. You saw it in Nicaragua. And if you've been to Haiti, you've seen it. In fact, really, if you've been to any country just about, you've seen this. But it's just a whole different culture there. You know, in Africa, uh, particularly in northern Africa, where we spend our, a lot of our time in Niger and Mali, when we were there... The, when you ask the person, um, say, good morning, how are you? They would respond, I woke up. And what that meant was, over there, you don't always do that. And so they were grateful to just wake up. Um, even in, the, in, the, in Mali and Niger, often there's this bad drought and there wasn't a lot of food. And yet somehow they were just some of the most contented people that I ever saw 
because, again, they so appreciated the things that money couldn't buy. And that even included food sometimes. They so appreciated their family and their wife and their children. So it was just refreshing to see that. And, of course, in America, and I'm glad to be an American, and I'm glad to be uh, in this land of the free, and, and the abundance of things we have in America, though, make it difficult to be content. So we want to talk about today about how can we get our discontentment under control. Actually, I'd like to see it die, um, but that hasn't happened in my life. So probably I'm on that limb by myself. It probably hasn't happened in your life either. It's just so hard to stay content. But how would you kill a monster? How would you kill a monster? Well, when I was a kid, about 10 years old, now let me help date this for some of the younger folk here today. Um, when I was a kid, it dates, it predates the internet. Al Gore hadn't invented it yet. Um, the, the internet, it predates cell phones. It predates microwave ovens. It almost, not quite, predates even color television. There were no CDs. There were no cassette tapes. Um, I, I was talking to Rod Wallace. We were driving around in a car last night and talked about how that in the old days, there were not even FM radio. Brent, you probably remember that. There wasn't even FM radio. If you had an AM radio, and that's all you had. So a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, the one indulgence that the Taylors had, it seemed, because I've told you before, we weren't exactly the richest family on the block. My dad somehow got an 8-millimeter camera. And back in those days, you filmed home movies, okay? No sound, grainy image, and you take this thing and you'd hold it up and you'd get about 15 minutes or so, 8 minutes on a roll of film, take it and get it developed, bring it back, and you'd have movie night at home. And you'd all laugh, ha ha, look at there, and y'all saw your, your brothers and sisters and your dads and your moms, and it was quite entertaining. Well... Somewhere along the way, Dad bought two made movies. And both of them were monster films. The first one was the dreaded horror show, I Was a Teenage Werewolf. Starring Michael Landon. And believe me, he was young. He was young. And it would show, again, no sound, black and white. And you see Michael, Lund, uh, Michael Landon as a young teenager-type person. And then all of a sudden, one night on a moony night, he starts growing hair. And the worst special effects you ever saw. Grew hair and monsters and becomes this werewolf. And then something happens. I don't know. They track him down or something. Anyway, he ends up, I don't know if he died or not. I don't remember. My little 10-year-old brain wouldn't comprehend that. But I remember the last scene in the movie was Michael Landon laying on the ground and slowly the hair disappears and the claws disappear and becomes Michael Landon again. Isn't that dramatic? You should have been there. Trust me, in my world as a 10-year-old, that was pretty cool. And then, if that wasn't enough, there was the creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, yeah. That was a great. Again, you know, you're out there by this lake, you know, and all of a sudden, out of the lake comes this scaly, half-fish, half-man with claws again, comes out of the lake like this, you know. I can still see it in my memories like this, you know. And he has like, he's like white. Well, I guess he was green. I really don't know because he was black and white. But he had these really fat lips, you know. And he's just going like this, you know. He had these scaly eyes. 
Well, you know, that really freaked me out. Again, I was only 10 years old. It really just, like, freaked me out. Well, here's the issue, and that's why this part of the sermon, I'm not just telling you my childhood to tell you my childhood, because this really left me scarred, okay? So here's the deal. So one day, I'm sitting in the bathtub. Now, we didn't have showers. It was a bathtub or nothing, okay? And we were grateful for the bathtub. So I'm sitting there in the bathtub, and I kind of, again, I'm only 10, so I'm not very tall. Well, I'm not very tall now either, but, but that's another story. So I'm sitting there, and I look down. And do you know what I saw? I saw two steely eyes looking back at me. And they looked strangely like the creature from the black lagoon. The only defense I had, of course, was to look away. And I strangely didn't want to take baths anymore. Because every time I got in there, there were those two shining eyes looking at me. And I was like freaking out. Why don't you want to take a bath? I just don't want to take a bath. You know, boys don't too anyway, but, but I don't want to take a bath, Mom. So you know how I finally killed the monster? I got my courage up. And I got my dad's flashlight. And I said, I'm going to find out if that's the creature in the black lagoon or not. So I, get, I didn't get in the tub this time. I leaned over the side of the tub and leaned down like this. And I put my flashlight, my dad's flashlight, and I shined it in the... Oh, that's where it was. It was the overflow drain. Y'all remember the overflow drains? They still got those? Well, this you could see in there. And so I get my flashlight, and, and I, I'm about two and a half feet back, and I shine my flashlight in there, and you know what I saw? Two brass fittings. <laughs> that look strangely like the eyes from the creature of the Black Lagoon. And that day, he died. I was no longer afraid to take a bath. So how do you kill monsters? You kill them with light and you kill them with truth. And so today, I want to talk with you. My first thought was, how do you kill the money monster? How do you kill this monster in our lives that causes so much discontent? But then I realized it was really bigger than money. It was really the monster of discontentment. How do we kill that thing in our lives? And we do it with truth and with light. And again, this scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6, um, verse number 6, is just so powerful. So I hope you'll take your Bibles there. We'll throw the, the uh, scriptures up on the screen. And I hope you'll, you'll really, may, may even take some notes today. May even take some notes today. So you can discover, because believe me, this is an issue that so hurts so many families and so many people Today. Now, the setup is kind of like this. Um, Timothy, again, it's First Timothy. So we know that Paul is an apostle, and he is writing a letter to a young preacher boy named Timothy, and he's giving him some advice, okay? And so what's happened, there's some false teachers in the church, some troublemakers, some, some wanting to stir the pot, and, and they were wanting to do that, and they did it, and in the process of that, they would kind of teach that, that godliness was a way to be happy to get to get financial riches, to get gain, okay? And so they were saying that, that God was a way to get gain. Does that sound familiar today? And so Paul wants to come in and teach Timothy a new truth and clarify that, that misteaching. So here's what he starts out with. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to destroy the monster. Here's what he says. He gives us two things, two great things. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 
Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now we talked briefly in First Peter chapter three. I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter three, uh, one last week. Sorry, in verse number three, we talked about the idea. What does godliness mean? And godliness is a life that is lived with acts of obedience. Okay, let me say that again. Obedience or God, godliness is acts of obedience lived out in our lives. Now, now here's what I want to make sure you get, because I don't think we get this. I think we, have, we just think that this, this Bible sometimes is a mean old book, and, and all it is is a bunch of things we can't do and we can't do. Every time it turns around, God, it seems like I want to do something, and you're saying I can't do it. And, and then, God, when, when, I, when I can't do something, then you say I ought to do it. When I don't want to do something, then you say I ought to do it. God, it's just a mean old book, and nothing could be further from the truth. Amen? Nothing can be further from the truth. You know, the truth is, this book is filled with truth that helps us live a purposeful and rich life. And young people, you need to hear that. Because you're, you know, you'll hear it at school, you'll hear it from your professors. If you're on your way to college, you know, first off, your professors, well, most of them will totally deny the fact that there is a God and there certainly is no, no true word of God. And you'll hear it out in the community, you'll hear it from your friends, that you can't believe the Bible, it's just a book of myths written by a bunch of people. Uh, you know, make us feel better about ourselves. Nothing could be further from the truth. And the word of God is the word of God, and it is filled with things that God gives us permission to do and he warns us not to do for the purpose of having having a filled life. So when, when he says that godliness and contentment is great gain, he's saying that godliness factor is a great way to enhance your life. Yes, we ought to obey God, but there's a, there's a personal advantage to that, and that is our life has a lot fewer regrets and consequences when we obey the word of God. So that's godliness. But then he throws in this word contentment. Contentment. So let me give you a little definition of contentment. Contentment can be defined as this. It's something on the inside that keeps you in peace despite the outside. It's something on the inside that keeps you at peace in spite of the outside. Now, let me tell you what the Greeks thought. For the Greeks, this meant self. One of the greatest virtues in Greek culture was self-assurance, self-confidence. So when you're a very confident person in your Self, then that they said that was contentment. Now, I still, I will say this. I admire people who are comfortable in their skin. They have that self-assurance. They're comfortable in their skin. We see this every once in a while when we go to the Dominican Republic. Um, in, in the European culture, a lot of times, like men still wear those Speedo things. They shouldn't. And, the, you know, we're talking about a three or four hundred pound guy and there are glimpses of a Speedo somewhere in there. If you're getting my drift. And I, looked, I remember this time looking at Judy going, Judy, he ought not to be wearing that. Can I have an amen? Have y'all seen this at the pool somewhere? Yeah, yeah. But, but you know what? I'm going, I'm going, he must be comfortable in his skin. And there, but there are folks though. I've been one of those people that all my life, you know, I tried with my physical appearance. I wasn't, I was too tall, too short, too fat, too heavy, too skin, all this sort of thing. I, all my life trying to be content with who I was. And it just thrills me. And I mean this to see a person who may not be the slimmest person or the best looking person, but they're just happy with who they are. They're, they're comfortable in their skin. So in that sense, self is a good thing. But the Greeks carried it to extent and said, no, no, no. Contentment is self. It's that thing inside of you that gives you that peace in spite of what's going on outside. That's not for Christians. For Christians, it's not self. It's Christ. 
For Christians, it's not self, it's Christ. So with Christ on the inside, with Christ on the inside, he gives us a peace that, that works regardless of what's going on on the outside. Because let's face it, is life a mess sometimes? Is life messy? Is life hard? Is life a wreck? Does life have bumps? Oh, yeah. But with Jesus on the inside, we can have contentment because it's bigger than what's going on on the outside. So Paul says this contentment and this godliness is great gain. It's great wealth. Literally, that word translates wealth. It's great wealth. Now, he also says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, you may be familiar with the scripture. He goes, not that I speak in regard to need. Now, now you understand something. Paul, everybody thinks Paul was like this rock star. And every, everywhere Paul went, the Apostle Paul, everywhere Paul went, every church he showed up, oh, can I get your autograph? Oh, can I get your autograph? Oh, it's the Apostle Paul. It's the Apostle. Honey, it's the Apostle Paul. It wasn't always like that. Paul, if anyone had a complex, it probably should have been Paul because one minute they liked him and the next minute they hated him. I mean, he would go and start a church like at Corinth and, and yay, Paul, and then he'd get letters and, and find out that they hated his guts. So, so he was constantly in a state of flux. I mean, his outside circumstances were definitely whacked out. Okay, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's what I want you to get, that he had a peace inside, and that peace was not, not if they like me, they don't like me, or if I'm tall or skinny, or if I'm rich or poor, if I've got money or don't have money. His peace was Jesus. It was Jesus. So here's what he says. Not that I speak in regard to one, for I have, now if I was taking notes today, I would circle that word learned. I have learned in whatever state I am to be Content. In other words, by experience, not by reading in a book, not by taking a self-help class, uh, not by going and seeing a psychiatrist or psychologist, by experience, Paul had learned to be content. He was not going to allow what was going on the outside to impact who he was. And the reason he was able to do that is because what was on the inside and what was on the inside was the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ. All right? So, so he said, he said, um, I have learned whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. I know how to react when I go to a church, and they hate me. And he goes, and I know how to act when it's success time, and I go to a church, and they think I'm a rock star. So whether they hate me or whether I'm a rock star, I have learned these things. He goes on and says this. Um, I, everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Man, my nose is itching this morning. I hope you'll excuse me, but it's itching. Oh, that means somebody's coming to see me. Old Southern tradition. So he goes, I know how to be full and how to be hungry. I, I know how to be when I go to McDonald's and I have to get the child size fry. And I know how when I can afford to supersize. Y'all been there before? You ever, you, ever, you ever been down to your last dollar? And you go to McDonald's and you say, what can I get for a dollar including tax? Y'all, anybody been there? Come on, I've done that. I've done that. I remember the time I went to... You remember when Evansville had the toll booth? I remember going to the guy and asked the guy if he let me go free. Honest truth. I, I remember one time I bought a bicycle and forgot to take any money. And I asked the guy in the bicycle shop, I said, can you loan me a dollar? 
Just, well, y'all don't want to be your pastor anymore. It was, it was hard times. It was hard times. But he goes, I know, I know how to react when I get a small French fry and when I get supersized. I know both those things. Both to abound and to suffer need. And here it is, verse number 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The reason I know how to be content, whether I'm abounding or being abased, or whether I got child-sized fries or supersized fries, whether I got lots of money or no money, the reason why is I can do all all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, now let me tell you what verse 13 is to us. Verse 13 to us is a great memory verse. It's a great, you know, somewhere we've heard enough where most of us can go, oh yes, Philippians 4.13, I know this verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you go, I don't have a clue what it means, but I do know the verse. I do know the verse. It, it's, it's a great promise that we like to throw out. You know, hey God, God don't forget. I, you said I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't you leave me on this branch by myself. But you know what it was for Paul? It was truth. He lived this dude. You know, when he wrote this, when he wrote this scripture, he's in Timothy. This is not a concept. This is not some idea of God. This is my life. I've determined I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Small fry, large fry, abased or bound, I can do it. I know because I've experienced it. And it's true for each one of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior. It's not just a memory verse. It's just not, what, 12 words, how many words it is. It's not just 10 or 12 words that we can say and it sounds good makes us feel better about ourselves. It's truth. With the power of Christ, we can do anything and everything. It's cool. Trust me. Trust me. It's big. It's big. So he goes on. And let me give you, before we move on, let me give you four things. Now, I may have shared this last year when I taught this. I don't know. But that's okay. Because let me give you four things to help you with contentment. Because I know it's a monster. It is so hard to be content. All right? Let me give you four things. First one is this. Learn to focus on what you got. Learn to focus on what you have. Now, the propensity is, is to look at what someone else has and what you don't have. But, but the first key to contentment is to focus on what you've got. You know, there's a, there's a trend today that most children experience, most students experience that I, I never got to experience. And that is, when you get your driver's license, mom and dad go out and buy you a really nice car. And I think that's totally awesome. But it was not always that way. You go, I go by the parking lot of the high school and I go, oh my gosh. Mustangs and Camaros and convertibles and all this stuff. You know, trucks that are bigger than, than like I'll ever dream to be, you know, tall. Wow, it's, wow, it's incredible. It just wasn't all that way, so I'll tell you that. In my case, here's my first car. Well... My sister lived in Daytona Beach, and they had a 1961. This was in 1970. So in 1961, um, they had a 1961 Rambler four-door sedan. It was painted royal blue with a paintbrush. It had a yellow racing stripe down the middle, painted with a paintbrush. It didn't have a floorboard. We put a piece of plywood in it, and a rod was knocking that wouldn't let you go faster than 40 miles an hour, and when you did, it sounded like a jackhammer. That was my first car. I was so glad 
to have it. You know why? No one else in the youth group had a car. I was Mr. Cool. I was the dude. Hey, let's call Dwayne and see if he'll take us somewhere. Well, yeah. And we take that rambling. You know, it's so funny. You know, I remember doing Brent. Did you know if you take a... Remember the old tachometers you used to put on the dash? And did you know if you set it, if you had a six-cylinder, if you set it on four, it would double the RPMs? So I learned, because, you know, I couldn't turn more than about, what, 1,300 RPMs at 35 miles an hour because the rod would go out. And so I would take that sucker and turn it on four cylinders and be up around five or 6,000. He goes, man, that thing's turning a lot of RPMs. I said, yeah, that's my supercharger. <laughs> lie! Just lie! But it was a car! And I was so glad to have it. So learn to be happy with what you got. All right, the second thing is, don't, don't focus, don't, don't focus on what you don't have. Because again, that's what happens. We, we get things, then we look at someone else who has something bigger and better, or we go to a car lot, or we go to the, you know, to the Lowe's and look at a bigger barbecue grill. You know, we look at something and we realize what we don't have. Oh, advertising people love this. You know, you watch television and they'll tell you what you need. And you will be a happier and better person if you buy the thing that they're trying to sell you. So, so disregard, don't focus on what you don't have. And don't focus on what other people have. Don't focus on what other people have. You'll covet that. And that's a sin. And, and you'll become jealous and become jealousy and bitter. And no one wants to be around a person who's jealous and bitter. So it's really important. What do you do? You focus on what you got. You don't focus on what you don't have. And you don't look at your neighbor's car or your house or boat or motorcycle or wife. Okay? You don't do that. You thank God for what you've got. And that's the fourth thing. Thank God for what you already have. And those four things can radically change you and your discontentment. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, don't think that only poor people are discontent. Take a look at Hollywood. Take a look at the sports world. People with lots of money wrestle with discontentment, just like those of us in the lower or middle income scale. All right? So, now Paul goes on and says this in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 7. He gives us a big truth. He says, the bottom line is this. We brought nothing into the world... And we cannot take anything out of the world. We brought nothing in. We can take nothing out. Everything stays here. Everything stays here. Everything in this world that you can buy at the Walmart store, at the car lot, everything. Well, actually, let me tell you two things. First off, it's decaying. Okay? And secondly, it stays here. It stays here. Um, I, I did something I said, you know, I wondered if in 2007 you bought a uh, big old one of those big white Suburbans, 2500. If you did it decked out with the LT package, you'd have paid between 37 and 41 thousand dollars. Okay, if you went and traded that in today, okay, I'm sorry. Let's just go eight years. I went eight years later, not ten. Let's go eight years later. You went to the car lot and wanted to trade that car in. They're going to give you between eight and ten thousand dollars for it. Now, I'm not real good at, at math, but, but 37 to 41 down to 8 to 10 is a pretty big depreciation. Anybody agree with that? Things, things deteriorate. So Paul says, look, look, when you were born, you didn't even own the diaper that you wore. Okay? And when you leave here, it all stays here. 
Even if you leave the jewelry in the casket, okay, it stays here. So we brought nothing into this world, and we can take, cannot take anything out of it. That, this is probably why Jesus said, you know, this is a very easy to find uh, scriptures to talk about. Listen to Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And he said to them, Jesus said to the disciples, take care. And one translation said, beware. Beware and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Beware of covetousness because your life does not depend on the abundance of your stuff. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you'll believe me, it might change your life. You are not defined by labels. Somewhere in this room, there's someone. And when you were younger, they told you you were fat. And all your life, you've grown up saying, I'm fat. didn't matter what the truth was. You bought that label, and you've worn that label all your life. It might be that someone said you were short, or someone said that that you were ugly, or someone said any other thing. And you've worn that label all your life. Well, listen, labels don't define who you are. And I will tell you this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, let me tell you who defines who you are. It is your Heavenly Father. Whatever else people say about you does not matter. And let me just tell you what God the Father says about you. He's enamored with you. He loves you. You are His child. He is your prize. You are His prized possession. You are the apple of His eye. Whether you're too tall, too short, too wide, or too thin, whether you think yourself attractive or not, God is enamored with you. He loves you today. You are His child. You are His child child. Oh, yes. Oh, please believe that today. Please believe that today. But now here's the flip side of that coin. Because sometimes we think if we drive a car that has three initials, such as BMW, or if we have a shirt, this particular shirt has an I there. I think it's an IZOD shirt. Or if we have a shirt that has a pony on it. Or if we have shoes that have a certain piece of metal on them. Um, you know, if we've had those kind of labels, that somehow it promotes us and makes us better. I don't want to break your bubble, but it doesn't. Until I came here, I didn't know there were shirts with ponies. But I know what? I was glad when I got my first one. But you know what? It didn't make me a better person. It didn't make me more valuable. It didn't do anything for me. Labels do not define who you are. Your Heavenly Father defines who you are. So, so you're, you don't, your life does not consist of the abundance of your possessions. Now, back in 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, he says this, But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Now, now this is it. This is it. You know, what Paul is saying is, he's saying that, listen, if, if God has provided nourishment for us, and he's provided clothing for us, and most theologians agree that when he says, when he says that clothing, that includes shelter. So as God has provided those things for us, that we should learn to be content. That everything else beyond that is gravy. See, sometimes, sometimes more is just more. Now, now by the way, I'm going to teach you next week, but I'll give you an insight so you'll be sure and come back. The Bible says in next week's scripture, also found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, that God's given us all things to richly enjoy. So he's not opposed to things. 
He's opposed to things on you instead of you owning things, but he's not opposed to things. But Paul's saying, wouldn't our life be better is that we appreciated the base things of life and that we have food, we have a place to sleep, and we have clothes to wear? How much better it would be? Because sometimes more is just more. Sometimes we want more because we're trying to get that affirmation, that good feeling. And by the way, the good feeling only comes through Jesus Christ. You know, I've got something here. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm going to give this away today. Um, this is a Motorola product series universal Bluetooth headset. Um, it's the lightest behind-the-ear design. It's two times better with wind cancellation. has dual mic. It's really nice. Never been opened. Never been opened. I've had that in my drawer for about four years, maybe five. I think. But technology is still good. Technology is still good. I think I want to give this away today. So what I'll do is, if you're over 16, okay, the first person to come to the welcome counter and say, hey, I want that ear thing, okay, um, it's yours. Just I'll give it to Judy, and she'll give it to you. Okay, because I don't need it. Obviously, it's been in my drawer five years. So you might ask the question, why did you buy that? Well, I'll tell you why. It was $79.99. $80. Can I hear a ooh? It was on clearance for $11.50. I said to myself, shoot that thing. I mean, there was a, it's not as bad now, but one day I was in Target and I bought 30 razors. Straight, you know, the kind that, yeah, it was after Christmas and they came with a can of, I didn't even use them. I did electric razor, but they were like 47 cents. So I bought them. So, so yeah, this made me feel so good. I, I, you don't remember Judy, but I went home and I said, Judy, Judy, Judy. She says, yes, honey. I said, look what I bought. I bought a Bluetooth thing. It was $80, and I got $11.50. And she goes, and? I didn't need it. But what I did need was the feeling. And the feeling cost me $11.50, of which I'm going to give it away today. See, sometimes more is just more, and sometimes that feeling can cost us dearly. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. So, so learn that if we've, got, if we've got food and clothing, if we've got the basic, learn to appreciate that. Judy, I'm going to go and give this to you now. And you just give away the first 16-year-old person or older. I only say 16 because they drive. So that's, that's the only reason why. So he says in 2nd, remember 2nd Peter chapter 1 last week? Let me just read this real quickly. Peter said, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Life being that that purposeful filled life and godliness. Okay? God's already given us all that. That's why food, that's why Paul said food and, and clothing and shelter is enough. Now again, God's not opposed to cars and, and BMWs and ponies on your shirt. He's not saying that. But don't let that define who you are because it can't. Jesus defines who you are. All right. So finally, back in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we've got to move on. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. But those who desire to be rich, now let me pause there to put it in context. The American way is to try to gain. I get that. But the word desire there carries the idea of being driven. Being driven. 
Someone whose passion is to be rich. Passion. They, they, they wake up in the middle of the night. How can I attain more? They, they wake first thing up in the morning. How can I get more? Um, they pour and pour and pour themselves into their jobs, into the careers, for the sole purpose of more. Okay? So, so those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. And that, you remember that word snare? You remember when I taught it last time? It's a bear trap. It's like someone who steps into a bear, steps to a bear trap and it breaks the bone and tears the flesh. Paul says a person who desires to be rich, who's driven with that passion, okay, that person, he falls into a snare and to many senseless and harmful desires. Have you ever had one of those times when you go, why did I do that? Buyer's regret. <laughs> Wedding regret. <laughs> What was I thinking when I married him? What was I thinking when I married her? Okay? Senseless. Moments of, why did I do that? Um, harmful desires. I, I called this verse the, the regret factory. The regret factory. Oh, no. Why did I do that? Well, sometimes in the passion of the moment, because i got to have, i got to have, i got to have, we have all these regrets that we make. And they plunge people into ruin and destruction. So if you're driving and your driving force is for things that you can't take with you or for wealth or for money. And now keep in mind, hear me what I'm saying. It drives you. Remember, remember I said something about a few weeks ago? And whatever drives you controls you. And frankly, whatever drives you owns you. Well, this is the regret factory. And, and Paul says, if, if, you, if you're driven by the desire to be rich, you fall into temptation, into a snare, an animal trap, as, as many, unto many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And regret after regret after regret. And you know what's bad is, it's not always as simple as a, a financial decision. You go on a car lot and you weren't going to buy a car and you walk off with a payment you can't afford. Or you buy the car and you can't afford it, but three months down the road you go, and why did I do that? You buy a house that's going to stretch you financially and, and you go from a cushion, from a margin to no margin. You, you actually think those credit card people like you and they send you credit card after credit card after credit card and you put a little bit on each one of them and before long you've got more debt than you can manage. Sometimes it's that easy. Sometimes it's though a, a dad who doesn't take time to be with his kids because he's driven, not has to work, chooses to work so they can have more and he can have more. Sometimes it's a mom who's driven to work, not because she has to, but because more. Not even for self-fulfillment, just more, just more. Just more. And the harm can be hard and difficult. Every once in a while I pull this out, and there are 49 copies of this on the welcome desk. So if you don't get the free Bluetooth earpiece, you can get a copy of this, and I'll run more if we need to. 
And it's called Cats in the Cradle by Harry Chapman. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be like you. And the cat's in the cradle with a silver spoon and little boy blue and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know, we'll have a good time then. Well, my son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? And I said, not today. I've got a lot to do, he said. That's okay. And he walked away. But his smile never dimmed. And he said, I'm going to be like him. Yep, I'm going to be like him. Well, he came home from college just the other day. So much like a man. I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, what I really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? I've long since retired, and my son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle, and the kids got the flu. But it's sure been nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. As I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, He'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cat's in the cradle with a silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, son? I don't know when. But we'll get together, Dad. We'll get together then. See, the, the snare and the trap of discontentment goes bigger than just financial and other kind of decisions. The regrets and ramifications impact relationships and marriages, character. And that's why the monster needs to die. That's why the monster needs to die. I hope you'll come back next week. And we're going to talk about another way to slay this monster of discontentment. And Paul teaches us how we should learn to be rich, how we should learn to be money managers and what to do to make our life richer. Now, perhaps you're here today and you go, well, that was sure interesting to come to church and hear about that. Yeah, it really is. It really is. You know, the Bible talks more about money than it does heaven and hell combined. And isn't it cool? I didn't ask for your money. I just don't want your money to get you. That's all. But if you're here today and you're new to church, and you're going, well, I wasn't expecting that. Well, I hope it's heard something today that will help you. But the biggest thing that would help you is what I said earlier on. If you're a Christ follower. If you're not a Christ follower today, I want to leave you the thought that that Roman cross is here for a reason. And it teaches us the truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That each one of us, loved by God, can come into a relationship with God if we're willing to turn from our sin and follow Jesus Christ. I told I did two funerals today, and I told them, both of them how heaven did not depend on going to church or religion or good works. It's all about trusting Jesus Christ through God's amazing, wonderful grace. And my friend Brent's going to be standing down front. We call this our decision time. And we're not trying to embarrass you, but, but he's got something he'd love to share with you. And he's down here and you're back there. But we'd be glad to talk to you after church too. But if you want to know more about trusting Jesus Christ and the quality of life that he can bring here, not to mention the hope of eternal life there, we would love to share that with you. And then for those of us who are Christ followers, I pray you'll learn today and apply today. The big idea was, how can you destroy discontentment? Thank you. You know, thankfully, because of Christ, you know, we can do all things through Christ. If we're willing to identify the areas where we're discontent, where it's snuck into our lives, you know, God gives us the power to slay that monster, to kill that monster. And so often, it is light and it is truth. It's this book. It's this book. So today, if you're here and you're dealing with this discontentment, and you, you say, oh boy, this one's for me today, Dwayne, oh, this book, this book can set you free. What did Jesus say? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Let's pray together. Well, thanks, God, for the uh, privilege of sharing this today. I, I really do pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit's been working out there in the hearts and lives of people. I pray first off for my friend who might be here today who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior. I want to pray, Father, that today they would see their need. How that they're in bondage to sin and He can set them free. He can do what nothing else can do. So we pray for that person today. And we want to thank you, by the way, with that same breath that in our lives, in many of our lives, not all of us, but in many of our lives, we've experienced that freedom. Which leads me, Father, to the second point. Father, if somehow we slipped into the bondage of discontentment, if in the, in the blessed country we live in, in the sense of, of material blessings and opulence, if that's snuck into our lives and has caused us to be discontent, Father, we want to pray for victory over that. Help us to slay the monster with light and with truth. I want to pray, Father, that you won't let this sermon go from our hearts. Father, I want to pray right now for especially the, uh, the couples with, with younger children, kids still in school. I want to pray particularly for them, Father, because these are such valuable days and valuable times. Thank you for teaching us through a secular song that our children are watching us, and to a large degree they might well grow up to be like us. May we be godly and Christ-like in our examples. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.